Welcome to Footy Time. This is Johnny Raff here. Hope you all had a great weekend. We've just had week one of the 2022 AFL Finals, and here to dissect it all in great detail is Mr. Daniel Andrews. How are you going, Dan? Hey, Johnny. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, probably one of the best uh, single weekends in finals I can remember. What about you? Can you remember a better one than what, the one we just had? Jeez, I don't think so. Not a better opening week, that's for sure. Every game had something for the neutral, didn't it? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think often going into a final series, you just hope that there's going to be a few good games because often you know, a team does sort of just get on top and there's still good games, but you know, you want there to be some real close ones. And uh, yeah, the first week of the finals delivered on all fronts, really. So yeah, if anything uh, like this is going to happen, you know, from in the next couple of weeks, we'll be spoiled. But I guess we've already been pretty spoiled with having at least three and probably four really great games to watch in a single weekend. Yeah, absolutely. The game's in good shape, and this was a showcase of it all coming together for some great footy. Um, we're going to go through each final from the weekend. Uh, the who, the what, the why, some of the highlights from these games, where they were won, where they were lost. And to kick things off, we'll start with the qualifying final on Friday night between Melbourne and Sydney. Over to you, Dan. Yes, huge game. So obviously, this was the one played on Friday night. Uh, they got a few more to it than I thought they would. The MCG was looking pretty packed. What was it, Johnny? About 78,000? 78,000. Yeah. yeah. Surprisingly, surprising number of uh, Sydney supporters. I didn't know that there were that many of them in Melbourne. <laughs> Neither, but they were out there in force. No doubt about that. Yeah. So just a reminder, uh, Melbourne finished above Sydney on percentage only. So yeah, I think a lot of people were predicting this game to be pretty hard fought. Most people were still tipping Melbourne, but uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, even if they were t- tipping Melbourne, were recognising that it was probably going to be quite a tough game. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Uh, I mean, we said last week it was probably going to be a couple of goals in it, um, and yeah, yeah, it was just it was a matter of who was going to be on top at the end, wasn't it? Yeah. All right. So I've got a quick rundown. So. Uh, I'll go through the rundown and then we can have a bit of a chat and uh, some questions to dissect as well. So let's get into it. So first thing I noticed uh, sitting there at the ground was, yeah, it's just really hard to find space. Uh, both teams really hard at it with the contest and that's the strength, one of their strengths of both teams. So once uh, the ball was hitting the ground inside 50 though, it was the Swans looking a lot more dangerous and uh, early goals to Haywood and Rowbottom off uh, quick plays where the ball's hitting the ground uh, were helping them there. Melbourne were doing pretty well in this first quarter too as well though. They were winning some big contests down the line to uh, set up some scoring shots and uh, even hitting some passes, uh, getting a couple of onto the leading Fritch. So that was really good there as well. And he actually goaled after the siren as well with a nice set shot to uh, set up an 11-point lead uh, for Melbourne. And, uh, yeah, it was really obvious that both teams were just really cracking in and uh, no easy ball out there, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, um, there was some real fierce contest to start it off. But uh, Melbourne looked a little bit cleaner, I thought. Sydney maybe a bit jittery in that first quarter, but, uh, yeah, you knew that it was only going to take a matter of time for them to settle in. Absolutely. And in the second, Melbourne continued on their good work. Probably the first sort of five or seven minutes, they really owned it. And uh, they got a nice kick in to Cozzy, who used the body well to mark on his chest. And he went back and slotted the set shot from 
relatively uh, harsh angle there as well. Mm. And uh, just after that, Melbourne had a good run of play as well, just keeping it in their front half. And uh, you're starting to think that things are looking pretty good for Melbourne. But just then, somehow, uh, May got sucked in and uh, gave away a free kick to Franklin. And uh, that was already basically a 50-metre free from where the ball was. And then Mm. uh, as May and uh, Buddy were running back towards goal, Somehow, I haven't actually looked at this back, so you might be able to tell me more on this, Johnny, but uh, Buddy goes to initiate contact with May again and basically just does the world's biggest flop and the umpire falls for a hook, line and sinker. So uh, now the Swans player is marched to the square and uh, you just can't give up a goal like this when you've got all the momentum in a final. It was a shocker. Yeah, maybe one or both of the free kicks shouldn't have been paid, but I still think there was a bit of ill-discipline there from May. How do you see this play? Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, you can't afford to be giving away these frees, especially in a game where the goals are hard to come by. But, yeah, look, I think Franklin definitely duped May into it a bit. But I just, I was still a bit frustrated with May there. Well, there was no need to do it. Um, he was well on top of him at that point as well. And he actually did a very good job on him this game. So I don't think it was very necessary but uh yeah it was just kind of like two school kids fighting off the ball and, uh. <laughs> it was just such a silly thing to be doing like melbourne had all the momentum at this stage they were probably yep. yeah it was probably the point in the game where it looked like they were most on top and it just felt like you'd let the air out of the balloon and just given sydney a, a gift basically just saying here's a way back into the game yep. what are you gonna do <laughs> Yeah, and they did bond together a lot after that. Uh, this one's so they really just turned it on. <laughs> they started winning more contested footy, and yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Melbourne didn't kick goal after that point, and the Swans kicked four for the quarter. So it was actually a four goal to one quarter to give the Swans. I think it was about a six point halftime lead. So uh, yeah, very costly. Do kind of wonder what would have happened in that second quarter if. Uh, that sort of sequence of events with Franklin didn't happen. Melbourne, maybe Melbourne could have hung on to the momentum a little longer. I guess we'll never know. Yep. Yep. Just one of those things. So uh, just a few more notes on uh, that first half. So really, Sydney were uh, actually quite dominant around the clearances, which is a little surprising. But Melbourne was still winning the inside 50 count and contested possession. Uh, but really, it started to not look like a Melbourne game at all. The way that... It, it was being played. They were really having to rely on a lot of contests down the line and uh, getting clean looks out of stoppage. Uh, and it really did look like something needed to change from a Melbourne perspective. And the other thing of note was the umpires seemed incredibly uh, whistle-happy <laughs> for a final. Yeah. Often often uh, you'd think the umpires you know, do put the whistle away a little bit in a final, but they were finding freeze everywhere, it seemed, for both sides. But... Yeah, yes. sometimes it was hard to know what the freeze are actually for. Well, going back to the May and Franklin incident, I kind of wonder if they really needed to pay freeze there at all. <laughs> um, you know, those are the kind of freeze that I don't really want to see paid in finals too often. No, I just think that it takes away from you know what you're there to see, which is the you know the best players battling it out. And look, yeah, I, I don't know what you thought. I just uh, I find it. If people like if if those two were going to act like school kids and stuff around off the ball, then just let them. Yeah, I don't know. It se- it almost seems like once a game gets into a pattern of like either 
you know, high, medium or low number of free kicks being paid. It's almost like it just keeps cycling through. Yeah. Like you don't see a game usually go from being a high free kick game to like a low free kick game. It no, gets, it's always the, consistent. Yeah, It's sort of, you get the uh, level set early on and it just sort of flows from there. So I hope uh, that Melbourne's next couple of games aren't as whistle happy as uh, those ones, especially in finals. Mm. Like, if you look at the way the Geelong uh, Collingwood game was umpired, completely different. And I feel like that was probably more fitting for what you would actually yeah. want in a final. I agree. I agree. So, so how did you think it was looking at halftime? Like, obviously, Melbourne wasn't down by much, but yeah, I don't know. Just to me, it wasn't looking that rosy. How did you see it? Yeah, I think they definitely turned it around the Swans. It was a good quarter. Uh, they I think the first quarter looked like a Melbourne game and then it just changed to a Sydney game in an instant, really. Yeah. And that second quarter, they were getting a lot more run off half back. They were getting, uh, they were just doing the things they do really well. They were spreading quickly and uh, hitting their targets. They used the ball so well off half back as well. Um, they were just doing it really, really well. And we were doing the things that are noticeable when we're not doing that well. I, mean, <laughs> I know the plan is to kick it long to a pocket and get that. Um, stoppage or just play the percentages but uh it just when we're not on that looks really predictable and mm. uh yeah just i think the game definitely wrestled onto sydney's terms all right let's keep going so the third quarter uh so uh melbourne started this quarter with an absolute bang so there was a great snap on the run from fritch and uh, at least one mm. more center bounce goal it might have been two uh getting tommy sparrow involved and launching from just inside 50 so it was a bit of a burst reminiscent of uh dare i say it the 2021 grand final here johnny oh yeah yep absolutely was uh yeah the clearance game was happening again and after sparrow kicked his i was I was waiting for Clayton Oliver to come out of the goal square <laughs> and uh, for the bang, bang, bang. But uh, yeah, uh, three goals in two minutes. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't last that long. So Sydney managed to wrestle the momentum back, uh, not fully. It was a bit of goal for goal really after that quarter. But quite amazingly for Melbourne, it was actually we we're relying on sort of Oliver's set shots to keep us yeah. keep the scoreboard ticking up, kicking up, uh, ticking over, I should say, and. Uh, he's probably not the player you want to be relying on for that, but he did kick them very well on that uh, occasion. And uh, he did, yeah. Just uh, did. the Sydney pressure—it had been there in the first half as well, but it was just making everything really quite difficult for Melbourne. So there was a lot of uh, possession chains that just didn't quite come off, or getting when they won the ball in close, they were struggling to get it out into a position where they could actually attack from. So that was something really noticeable as well. Yeah, so, and the Swans had really set up well behind the ball. I thought they were, they knew exactly what we were going to do, and they yeah they'd planned they knew exactly where to position themselves, and they were getting a lot of score from turnover, which is what I was actually hoping we'd do. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it seemed like you know when the ball hit the ground in the Swans forward line, they just had so many of these you know fast, quick players, whether it be you know Papley, Haywood. This, they've got so many of them who can just do yeah, damage. Right it didn't really seem like, uh, you know, they needed much time or space. They just needed that little uh, slice of uh, space and they were making Melbourne pay. Yeah, the moment they would get in behind the contest uh, like with a Papley or something, it was just, yeah, it was panic stations for these defenders. Yeah, I remember 
one right in front of where we were sitting. Um, I think it was they got the ball out to Lloyd and basically from where the paint of 50 where it intersects the boundary line just launched a long kick and yeah that was one of the goals in this sequence so mm. yeah they were making uh, a lot out of not a lot sometimes but uh, they're also getting some good marks to like Reed and Hickey so yeah. Yeah, yeah everything was sort of working for them in this quarter so all of that added up to a 10 point uh, 12 point lead actually for the Swans going into the last quarter so it was all in front of Melbourne to make something happen here yeah, an interesting turnaround that. I still can't quite figure out how it happened. But uh yeah. Yeah, I'm not yeah, not sure what happened in those last ten minutes. I just think that that pressure dropped off and they got us on a few turnovers. Yeah, they were really punishing us when they did get a chance to move a little bit quickly and they didn't need perfect play just no. to uh make Melbourne pay. They were quite efficient going inside fifty. It was kind of at a point, sorry, Dan, it was kind of at this point where I felt like they were doing that. It was happening enough for them, those turnovers, in the really good positions for them. I just kind of felt like it wasn't going to be sustainable for us. We, we, our goals were coming from some, some good work, but as long as that was going to happen, there were just always a chance, Sydney. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers were, but I know Sydney did score a very large number of points from turnover in this game and Melbourne very few. So I think they were relying on stoppage mainly yeah. as a score source. And I think it's pretty hard to do in a final, relying it on is, stoppage. Yeah. You can't really kick rely on kicking that many goals from stoppage to win a game. Exactly. I mean, that grand final, it's an anomaly, really. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> Not to say it can't be a score source, but no. I think if... if Stoppage is your main score source in a final. You're probably not going to win. No. All right, so let's go to the last quarter. All ahead for Melbourne. So Sydney did a really good job here, just controlling territory and not really giving Melbourne that many chances. They just gradually sucked the life out of the game. Uh, Their pressure continued to break Melbourne possession chains often before they even got started. And uh, Melbourne actually went uh, goalless in this last quarter and ended up going down by 22 points. And uh, it really gave the Swans a uh, fantastic victory, personally, but also a quite quite useful path to get through to the grand final, perhaps home prelim at the SCG. And uh, now we know the opponent will be the winner of Collingwood and Frio. So, uh, yeah, it's all set up for the Swans. Yeah, fantastic win. They Their pressure late in that game was off the charts. They yeah, Melbourne just had no answer for it. Um, as I said, they'd set up really well for what we were doing with the long kick into the uh, into the fifty. They were right on it. Very good defensive side, really. Uh, and it's those sides like Sydney and Collingwood that kind of sit a bit deeper, and absorb the attacks, and then hit you on the counter. That are they're getting a lot of fortune at the moment. Yeah, it seems to be a model that's working, especially against Melbourne, where they're not actually. I suppose, taking the game on as much. So you're not going to get as many open looks uh, against Sydney, I suppose. And if you're not taking those attacking options, you're going to get even less. Mm. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, So, yeah, I guess just summing up, uh, it just felt to me like a bit of a nearly night for Melbourne. Uh, Too much was left to too few. Obviously, Oliver had a game that was off the charts, but uh, there wasn't enough contributors really and Mm. it just felt like a lot of it was the inability to execute 
you know, some of the basic skills under pressure. Obviously, the Swans' pressure was a big factor in that, but I still wonder whether, you know, Melbourne's, the Melbourne players' heads were 100% in this game, especially considering, you know, they didn't necessarily have to win it with the way the games had fallen and they weren't going to leave Melbourne anyway. Obviously, they wanted to win, but I don't know. Maybe that was a small factor. And, you know, the matchup, just as you're sort of talking about there, isn't a good one for Melbourne. And I don't know, no. it almost just felt like, they felt like the whole thing was just going to be a little too hard. Yeah, or they, I don't know, they maybe felt like it was also just going to happen, possibly. Like maybe, they, yeah. They, that extra 5% of pressure and work rate just didn't need to be there. I, I don't know. It's hard to know without knowing what's in their heads. But, uh, yeah, it, it, at some points I actually felt like Sydney were doing we're beating us at our own game. I kind of felt like they were letting us have an extra possession because their pressure was just so good that, uh, that you know, our defenders were getting rushed into scruffy kicks. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was... Yeah, um, it's incredible how much uh, pressure they were putting on through the midfield. Guys yeah. like Parker, Mills, and then they've just got so many guys running through there. I remember looking at the stats at halftime and sort of their top six or seven midfielders had all had, you know, well over 10 possessions. So... It, they really do spread the load through there, and they give you no time or space. Yeah, it's a very good side. Very good side. Absolutely. So just got a couple of questions for us to unpack some of this, Johnny, and feel free to <laughs> add in anything you care to. But uh, why does Melbourne keep fading out in second halves? So this is far from a new thing. It almost feels like there's been two types of Melbourne games this year against the better teams. The type of game we just saw there where... Things are sort of spotty for Melbourne. It works sometimes. It doesn't work other times. They can't kick enough goals in the second half. And then the other type of game is the Brisbane or Frio type of game where everything just sort of clicks and uh, they look almost like a different team. So why do we keep fading out in these second halves? Yeah, it's it's going to sound a bit simplistic, but I really feel it in those games it was a momentum and psychological based thing. Like we were, our pressure was right on from the start and we took our chances and we got to a lead where it kind of broke their back a bit. And mm. yeah, the heads dropped a bit. Whereas in these games, yeah, look, we've had our moments, but you know, we leave, you'll leave the opposition hanging around a bit. Um, it also comes back to the game plan a little bit. And I don't know, maybe sometimes what the things that we do, play into the hands of the opposition like Sydney. Uh, we obviously came in with a plan that we wanted to lock the ball in the 50 and the best way to do that was to you know, kick to the pocket, which I don't, I'm not that critical of because it is, it has worked a lot for us. But I really felt like we were overdoing that, especially in the first half. It wasn't even if we were on the, um, you know, on the half forward flank and kicking to a pocket. I felt like there were times when we'd taken a mark or something on the wing and, we were just winding up for this big long kick to the <laughs> inside fifty in the boundary side. Um, I, I just feel like in those games, especially in the Brisbane game, we would do that, but we'd also vary up the yeah, yeah the entries inside fifty. And attack. I just think Melbourne's the at their best when they're a bit unpredictable and they're taking the game on a bit. There's there's a bit of dare. It's obviously not reckless dare, but they're choosing the moments to hit up short targets or going long or. Yeah, so I just think that after a while, the opposition knows exactly what to do, and it's easy to defend when they, yeah, when they see the same thing coming in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think a few people have been talking about this. The fact that that just seems like Melbourne perhaps aren't willing to attack enough. Like, yeah. can Melbourne actually win any of these big games if they're not attacking enough? Essentially, like it seems like a silly thing to say, but like they're almost playing with a handbrake on. Like, I'm not. We're not saying to go full throttle attack 100 percent no, of the time, but definitely not. Like. I think the Collingwood-Geelong game was a good example of this. It was very hard for both teams to find space, but really the only time each team was going to score was actually trying to find that space. It almost feels to me like Melbourne are not even trying to find the space. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah, we- how, how can you possibly kick enough goals if you're not actually trying to find the space you need to you know, create dangerous scoring chances? And, and there were a number of times when there was a few good overlapping runs and, and leads early in the game. And, yeah, we, we've already got our mindset on what we're going to do, uh, the ball carrier coming towards the 50. And, yeah, I just think that, um, you know, as I said, it's a good game plan. I believe in it. But sometimes you've just got to change it up a bit. And most of those games where Melbourne were, you know, exceptionally good last year, especially in those finals, were when we changed the ball movement up a bit. Where yeah. when we started moving it a bit fast and getting in into the, those targets leading to the carrier, and I think it yeah. might have been in, in the third quarter. Do you remember this? The crowd just basically started. I don't know, really getting like irate or not irate, but they were just really sort of yelling loud, like encouraging Melbourne to actually go quickly when they wanted mm. a half back, oh, yeah. and there was actually you know people could see that people were in some space, and yeah. they just you know picked their way down the ground, but they did it quite slowly and. I don't actually remember a time at the footy where a crowd has got that sort of into it, basically encouraging the team to move the ball quickly in a play like that. Do, do you remember yeah. the time I'm talking I, about? I, I agree. I definitely heard a lot of people saying that. I mean, there were times when it's, a, I guess, a little easier said than done. You don't want uh, oh, no, 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 so, to so create much. a ball line. But yeah. I agree with you. There were times when we had open men yeah. on the, and for about yeah. a second or two and they just didn't move it quick enough. Yeah. I don't know. It almost, it does feel like we've kind of changed from last year. Like, And it's kind of slightly hard to judge it because it hasn't necessarily been like this when Melbourne's been at their best. But it does feel like they've throttled back the attack a little bit. And yeah, maybe it is protecting the defense more. But I don't know if it's limiting your capacity to score to such a degree. Surely you're better off actually, you know, opening yourself up a little bit more if you're going to be creating more chances. Like, there's only so much you can do to actually set up the game to defend, right? Like, you need to score at some point. Well, it's also the type of entry. I mean, okay, so they want to get it in there quickly or they want to get it in and, you know, get repeat stoppages and lock it in there. Um, If that's the case, why not go for some, you know, sort of shallow kicks, low kicks, low and hard, have it ping around a bit in there. If it ends up out of bounds, it's the same result. Uh, you know, <laughs> it just seems this high ball that comes in, it's very slow, very predictable, and it's just easier to set up for if it's coming in every time. I, I don't know. That's just yeah. a, off the top of my head. But, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that uh, it's better when there's chaos in there, I think. Yeah, and I think that comes from what's happening further up the ground. Like, you're only really able to generate that chaos if you move it quicker from further back essentially like yeah so there's a lot of slow plays from half back 
Apparently, so we guess, had one score from uh, transition uh, from yeah, half back. Absolutely, that was a problem. So, yeah. do you think Melbourne gave themselves the best chance to win this game? Uh, yeah, I think in the first, I think in the first half we did, but when it was becoming apparent that we needed to make a slight alteration, I, I would, I, I know it's easy to say it now, but I'd like to. I would have liked to have seen us do a few things different. I think that it maybe worked against us and played into their hands a bit. Yeah. The way that we were moving the ball, especially. Yeah. Very low score from turnover, as we've sort of talked about. And it was like that last time we played Sydney as well. And I think that goes to sort of that stuff you're talking about in terms of how well Sydney do fall back and, you know, protect the dangerous space where they sort of know the ball's going. So it, it means that, you know, you need to be even more sort of um, conscious of that and not just do the predictable thing the whole time. Otherwise, you just sort of get swallowed up, which is kind of what happened a lot of the time. Melbourne yeah. were generating a lot of their as their scoring shots from, you know, getting free kicks, like winning, sort of holding the balls or just getting it from clearance. And uh, there wasn't much else. No, and look, John Longmore has been around a while now, so he knows, you know... It's not his first rodeo. He he's got this <laughs> this dialed in this whole coaching game for, and yeah, I think that unfortunately he had coach Goodwin again, and the, the game between Melbourne and Sydney just seems to go the same way every time. Uh, it's it just seems like a very well organised uh, backline, but sort of gets us in the moments that matter. Yeah, yeah, it's not a great matchup for Melbourne. So let's no. move to the Swans. We've talked a lot about Melbourne. Yes. Uh, um, just a real general one, just to throw out there. What makes Sydney so good? So obviously they brought incredible pressure in this game. They had so many contributors, but what is their point of difference? Why are Sydney a threat to win this thing? I think that they're just they're just extremely well organised as a side. They know literally exactly where they need to position themselves when, the, especially when they are without the ball. They know the best way to get those turnovers in, you know, in the best positions. Uh, they don't have a lot of stars in the midfield, but they've got just relentless workhorses. And yeah, there's guys there that they look like they're just fighting to keep their place in the team, really. Like they're like playing each game as if it's their last. I mean, I think that's what's the... It's a nice spread across that midfield and they all just work their butts off. Um, they've got a lot of quick players. These sort of medium, medium, quick players, very silky skilled They've just got so many of them. It's, you know, the guys we talked about before, add uh, Heaney to that list. Yep. These guys just, I don't know, It's they just run real deep, I suppose. They're very flexible as well. They can play a number, a lot of those players can play a number of positions. And, yeah, they just, yeah, the speed thing's a big one. They put a lot of speed on the contest. And, um, yeah, just a very well-drilled side. So who do you reckon is more likely to take it up to the Swans at the SCG in that prelim? Would you would you be more worried about Collingwood or Fremantle from a Sydney point of view? Keeping in mind mm. that uh, they did actually account for the Pies a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah, they did. Um, I think that's a very, very good question. <laughs> uh, one. The Dockers travel really well. Really well. They do, yeah. And I can also see their kind of style suiting the SCG. 
so, but yeah, look, Collingwood would have learned a lot from that last game as well. So mm. I might just give the edge to Collingwood. But yeah, I'd be interested to see what the Dockers could do. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game as well, Collingwood and Frio, and we'll talk about that a little later just in the preview. But yeah, Collingwood obviously gave a really good account of themselves, but uh, you know the Swans have already beaten them, so maybe Frio would be a tricky match out there. Yep, yep. I think either one's going to be a pretty tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We saw what happened to Port in the their home final, so home final is a guarantee of nothing in the prelims, but uh, you'd rather have it than not have it. Especially with the um the pre finals buy back. Ah uh, yes. Uh, I think, banner in the works. <laughs> yeah, you've got that, that long period without playing football again. So, you know, Sydney should start favourites, obviously, but you know, it can be a bit of a banana peel as well. A little bit of a poison chalice, maybe. Yeah. So did you have anything else on this game, Johnny, before we move on? Yeah, look, I, I just think Sydney were really good. They were they were easily the better team in the night. They after halftime, they smashed us in the contest. They smashed us on the outside. Uh, I, I know a lot of Melbourne fans have been talking about those incidents and those frees in the 50s and, uh, you know, saying, well, if it wasn't for those, you know, mm. we, we win or whatever. I just think that's complete nonsense. <laughs> I think that yeah. we, we, were, we were bitten by the better team. There's no doubt if about it. If you look it. at the game as a whole, then Melbourne wasn't going to win the game the way it was played for the majority. Yeah, we had, like, little good patches, but... yeah. Patches don't win matches, I suppose. <laughs> nope. No, no, um, yeah, we weren't, we weren't tough enough, long enough, and and Sydney were, and they bring more pressure. Usually, you win the match. <laughs> Absolutely. So, like, obviously, Melbourne's got a few injury worries, but how worried are you about Melbourne for the rest of this final series? Like, ha- have they set yeah. themselves up this year to actually give them the best chance to defend their title, or you know, have have we gone off the rails a little bit somewhere along the way? Maybe yeah. it's a bit too early to say. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's it's been an excellent season, finishing second. I think that's always a good way to defend your, uh, you know, defend the premiership. But yeah, this was a big one. This was a big one for Melbourne, and there's been a few things that we were kind of told that were going to put us into good stead for this kind of final. So I'm looking at the loading <laughs> phase. <laughs> uh, we were told that we were going to be, you know. Running on top of the ground. Uh, your first question was, why does Melbourne keep fading out in the second half? Well, you <laughs> have to put a line through that. You can't, yeah. you can't do can't that. Just this, this was designed for that, yeah. Um, you've also got uh, the injuries that have happened. And they haven't been the best kind of injuries. You've also got times during the year, especially against Geelong, where Melbourne did a very similar thing. They kept going long down the line. And some people were even suggesting that maybe Goodwin was saving the best tactics <laughs> for finals. Well, it's not the case. So, didn't I, I don't know. I think it does seem like there's a few things working against us, but I've been just telling myself one week at a time, which, yeah. yeah, we've got a game of footy this Friday, we just got to win it. I'm trying not to think much further ahead than that, yeah. Absolutely. What about you, Tim? Yeah, it, it was obviously disappointing. Like, going into the game... I didn't think we were really much better than a 50-50 shot. The only thing that gave me sort of solace was, you know, previous record in finals and the fact that I think the Melbourne game does stack up well in finals. But, yeah, as we sort of talked about, I just felt like they were just a bit off. And you can't be off in a final, let alone against a side as good as Sydney. So I just felt like, yeah, they probably weren't quite there. And, 
you know, dismissing such an incredibly important structural piece and as Tom McDonald and just not having yeah. that second forward who can do some of that grunt work, whether it's McDonald or anyone else, maybe this just isn't the year for Melbourne because yeah, it's really hard to win a game of football without good contributions from tall players. <laughs> and it's it, just so, it just makes such a big difference. It is, it is. And, yeah, that was the main thing I took out of that game was seeing Clayton Oliver up there kicking a few goals, which is great. And seeing Max kick a nice clutch goal at one point, uh, these were all great moments. But I just kind of thought, wow, we're really relying on, <laughs> on we're going down the pecking yeah. order here for our goals. And then you had Jake Milksham miss two crucial ones. Uh, yeah, look, it's I'm not saying it's done. And maybe that's the challenge for the coaches to come up with something, some kind of mix that does work. It obviously did against Brisbane last time. But, um, yeah, it, it just, yeah, there's just a few things working against Melbourne this year. Yeah, it's not all rosy, but still in still in the game. Got a favourable matchup against Brisbane, and uh, we're probably on the good side of the draw as well. The probably slightly more favourable matchup in the prelim against Geelong than having to travel up to Sydney as well. So it, it's not all bad. And, it's a good uh, point, actually, yeah. Um, I don't know how much better off we would have been winning and going straight through to that prelim and playing either Collingwood or Frio until yeah, next time. Yeah. Uh, but, Frio, yeah, look, maybe, but Collingwood, yeah, I don't know. I've got my doubts about that kind of style at the moment. <laughs> us, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Just waiting to see the best, but yeah, maybe it's just one of the one of those years where it just doesn't quite all come together and... You know, that's okay. You can't win it every year. but uh, No, you need a little bit more than just uh, good management, I guess. You do need sometimes that little bit of little bit of luck in a footy season. Yeah, and, you know, maybe if it doesn't work this year, it will give Melbourne more of a, you know, more of a push to actually go after another sort of tall forward half player that can actually fill that gap a little bit. And... Uh, Maybe also tweaking the game plan a little bit. I feel like there has been tweaks made in 2022 compared to 2021. And obviously you need to keep tweaking. But uh, yeah, I guess we've talked about it a bit already. Just the fact that maybe we're not attacking enough. And yeah, I think in a final as well, like (laughs) it's so hard to actually find good chances to actually, you know, get through and score. And if you're not giving yourself enough of those chances... I'm just not sure yeah. how you're actually going to win. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Uh, you can have uh, the best defense ever. But well, it's kind of Geelong's not- problem, right? Like, they were very good in 2020, 2021, but the way they set up the game, they weren't really attacking that much. And ultimately, they got got by Richmond and Melbourne when... You know, they could throw the game into a little bit more chaos and just uh, take that sort of control style away from them. So I think it's almost like another version of that. Obviously, Melbourne's not playing control style, but they're almost playing like a different version of that where their their attack has been sort of throttled down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And look, controlled styles can work as well, but uh, it does seem at the moment that uh, when there's, I guess you're embracing the imperfections and just creating chaos, bringing a whole lot of pressure. That just seems to be the best way to win a game at the moment. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Interesting stuff. (laughs) We will move on to the next game. So it's actually the day before this one. Last Thursday night, the first final of the week, weekend, 
which was the elimination final between Brisbane and Richmond. Uh, this was just a ding-dong game of football. I mean, the first quarter was play at lightning pace. Lions were looking to move it through the middle. I think that's where they play their best footy. Uh, and it was 4-3-27 apiece at a quarter time when Hipwood nailed his set shot right on the right on the bell. It was to and fro from then on. But Brisbane were on top in the middle at the stoppages, I thought, Dan. Uh, and this was definitely the case when Dion Prestia was subbed out at halftime with a hammy. Yeah, it's a big blow. Oh, I, I was actually gutted to see this happen. Uh, he's been one of my favourite midfielders to watch this year. Um, just with his... His work rate, his two-way running, I think these are the types of mids you want in your team. So it was always going to be hard to cover for. Uh, and the game did seem to get onto Brisbane's terms, but the Tigers hung around, and when a few chances in front of goal came their way, they took them. Uh, Tom Lynch kicked a couple, and suddenly they had a 16-point lead late in the third quarter. The Lions did manage to answer with a few to reel it back to four points at three-quarter time, so it was set for a grandstand finish. Uh, and that last quarter was everything you could hope for. Uh, Jack Rewald binned two clutch kicks from the paint of 50 on the boundary, which twice gave the Tigers the lead. Uh, they wanted it, the Tigers. You could tell. Shane Edwards, in what could have been his last game, which turned out to be his last game, uh, made an excellent run down tackle in the forward 50. Uh, they would then have the chance to extend the lead when Tom Lynch marked from close range, but on an acute angle. His shot from where we were watching, seemed to go directly over the goalpost. Uh, the umpire's call was a goal, but the score review overturned it pretty quickly. We'll have more on that in a second. <laughs> uh, with less than two minutes to go, Brisbane won a loose pinging ball out of the middle and got it to Zach Bailey on the 50 near the boundary, a little bit out of his range maybe. He launched his kick to the square, and Joe Denneher, using all his forward craft, with the ball, managing to also evade three Richmond defenders, got his boot to it for the go-ahead goal. With one minute left, the Lions kept it close in the contest, chewed a bit of clock up and uh, managed to score the famous victory. So maybe not the most highly skillful game and not the best display of team defense from either side, uh, but both sides scored 100 points. And I think whenever that happens these days, Dad, you've got a pretty good game. Would you agree? Yeah, it's nice to see these games every now and then. I think it was the first time both teams had scored 100 points in a final since 2015. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's just pinging around. Uh, it was obvious really early on in the game that both teams just wanted to throw the ball around uh, and get it moving quickly. Uh, it was almost crazy in that first quarter how much Richmond were taking the game on and opening themselves up. Uh, but uh, I think they did rein it in a little. I, obviously, they kept taking it on, but some of the, the plays they were trying to make in that first quarter were almost suicidal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, so, look, the first thing I've got to ask is obviously that score review. <laughs> did they get it right there? Why did they go against the rationale they've been using all season? Yeah. I think this is one of these things where you get the right result, but you just can't worry too much about how you actually got there. Because yeah. <laughs> if you look at how you got the result, then you probably can poke a lot of holes in it. So he goes for the... Tom Lynch goes for the check side uh, and he looks completely unconvinced that he kicks it. And apparently that counts <laughs> for what the score <laughs> reviewer is doing. Um, so looking at the angles that the score reviewer saw, we presume that we saw the same ones they did. It was very hard to tell whether the ball went through for a goal or whether it went over the point post. You would say it probably went through 
over the point post, but was it, you know, unequivocal that it didn't go through for a goal? I'm not sure how you can make the decision on that evidence. So, you know, obviously Richmond supporters were pretty ropeable, but uh, did you see the the angle, the, the fan video that got posted on Twitter, Johnny? There was actually <laughs> a fan basically directly behind in line with Tom Lynch, and it looked like the ball went dead centre over the post. So I think we did yeah, get the right uh, <laughs> decision made. But, uh, yeah, it's a hard one because, you know, was it 100% from what the score viewer could see? You'd have to say probably no unless they had a different angle that we didn't see. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I love incidents that happen in footy just send everyone into meltdown. You've got to just divide everyone. Every WhatsApp chat, every messenger chat you've got just goes into a complete chaos <laughs> with all these arguments. Uh, people saying, oh, yeah, but it got the right result in the end. It clearly went over the post. Then you've got the other side going, how do you know it went over the post? Were you standing under the post? <laughs> yeah, I, I love these. It reminded me of the game with Sydney and Richmond earlier in the year when um, – uh, uh, when it was Chad Warner who kicked it out on the fall and the siren went. Uh, and oh, yeah, yeah, everyone just had a different... <laughs> everyone was on two sides of the fence there. But, um, yeah, look, I'm just the same. I thought my instant reaction was that it went over the point post. Uh, yeah, I think he really sort of bellied that kick a bit and he wasn't <laughs> too convinced. But, uh, yeah, none of those angles did anything for me. They just really didn't... <laughs> I didn't... You couldn't tell, anything. basically. So I, I don't. Maybe the they, maybe they had a different angle, but from they what you have. could see, they might have. But what we could see, it didn't look like it was that convincing. But also, in twenty twenty two, with the score of you being how long's it been in the game for now? Like nearly ten years or something. Um, I, I just find it funny how people were talking about Lynch's reaction factoring into it somehow. <laughs> it that should have no impact yeah, at all. Crazy. <laughs> um. Look, yeah, I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, look, it was, it was a brutal way to lose. Uh, For sure. It was definitely a brutal yeah, way to lose. Yeah, like, when he took that mark, I just thought, you know, game over. He's that close yeah. in. He shouldn't Same miss. Here. And, like, you know, most players would probably just go for the left foot snap from there. But there is always a little bit of – well, there, there's more risk with either a check side or a left foot snap. Like, there's a, just, there's a chance that it just completely misses. And we yeah. see that relatively often. But – yeah, not many players yeah. going for the drop punt. Yeah, you've really got to connect Maybe the ball that was properly. the high percentage one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, was it just before that, the Dan Hur free kick that he gave away? Uh, maybe that was just as contentious as well, because there wasn't a lot in that. Yeah, so lots, obviously, lots happening in that last quarter. It was pretty crazy. It but, was. Uh, and how was that last play? Like, I don't know why, but it was almost like a rugby ball in that center square as Brisbane were trying yeah. to move the ball down. For some reason, it was just so was clogged scrappy. up and it, it just sort of kept pinging around, like as you said, and got it out to Bailey. But yeah, it was so strange to see everyone just in the square. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, was, it was crazy. But that was a fantastic win for Brisbane. Chris Fagan's second win in finals, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, what does this game do for Brisbane's reputation in finals? Well, like, you basically fall over the line. Um, So, to me, like, it doesn't do a lot for their finals reputation in my eyes because you're basically, you're you're beating an opponent that finished 
outside the top eight, you're in the top four most of the year. Yeah, you find a way to fall over the line at home, but you could have easily lost it. So to me, this does almost nothing to remedy the record in big finals. I know that might seem a little harsh. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I think yeah, I'm more along those lines as well. It, it does a little bit. Um, it yeah, would have maybe been, I'm being catastrophic if they lost. Definitely. <laughs> so it was a great, it was a great test, and they they got over the line. But they also did what they probably should have done. I mean, they, as you said, they've been yeah. in the top four most of the year, and they were at home, and they're meant and the to other be thing elite is- at home. Yeah, the other thing is, like, the way the game was played, it was quite a unfinals-like final, if you know what I mean. Like, almost never in a final you get that much space and uh, yeah. that was on offer. And the pressure, while good when it was in close, like, there wasn't a lot of pressure out there compared to all the other three games. So, I yeah, don't know. Defences were not I, marking close or anything. Yeah, like, winning a game like that as a Brisbane supporter wouldn't really give me that much more hope that you could go to the MCG and win. Like, I don't know. It yeah. does demonstrate that there are still a leaky backline at the moment, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, do, do, do you remember what I said in the intro uh, when we were doing that intro episode, basically, that, you know, they weren't going to be able to hold Richmond, so they had to be able to score a lot. And that's basically how the game played yep. out, right? They yep. made it into a shootout, and that was probably their be- one of the best chances they had to win. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It's still leaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have one question about Lockie Neal, who played a fantastic game. Uh, what were his stats? He had, uh, I believe, he had um, thirty-nine. Yeah, thirty-nine disposal. That's right. <laughs> wow. Um, we know what an. I think Lockie Neal is the best, clear, pure clearance midfielder in the game at the moment. Um at least on par with a few, couple of others. But why do you let someone like Lockie Neal have free reign at the, at the, at the contest? Why is it he not being stood next to at stoppages? Why did Richmond do this then? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it. The only thing I can think of is they're just not putting that much stock in winning the clearances. That's the only thing I can think of, really. It does seem kind of crazy. It just seemed like, at no point did they think this might be something we need to shore up a little bit. And uh, I just think that was a bit of a, yeah, it wasn't a good move to not do anything. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. dominated. Especially when Prestia went down, it was always going to be tough. And I think limiting the damage from Neil would have been a good thing to you know, try and do. But, uh, For sure. They obviously, yeah, didn't value the clearance that much. And yeah, they backed in their back line, which is... It's been pretty good this year, but yeah, that's just not how it turned out. Um, another question, uh, who would have been the more deserving winners of this game? Mm, it's almost like a coin flip, really. I think, oh, yeah. Well, in that last quarter, I would go to the fact that Richmond only got, well, two of their goals at least that Rewalt kicked. They almost made something out of nothing there, really. Like, yeah. they weren't good, clean plays. It was really just the fact that Rewalt is a bloody good kick for goal that, yeah. you know, most pl- other AFL players are missing those shots. So oh, I think yeah. Brisbane probably did deserve to win this game, but, uh, geez, it was a brutal way to lose. Yeah, I think, I think so too. I think they definitely deserved it. I think. Neither team deserved to lose, but uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think 
You can't say Brisbane were undeserving. Yeah. No, absolutely not. 